This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. This episode features a chat with Cadaver frontman Anders Odden. Now, the compelling event, the catalyst behind the chat, is due to the launch of a new album from the group. It is titled The Age of the Offender. It'll see the light of day on July 1, 2023, via Nuclear Blast Records. And yes, we talk about all the reasons why Anders decided to name the album that way. It is this very strange left-leaning era that we're all living through at the moment, politically speaking and socially speaking. And elsewhere, we even try to recreate one of the tunes on the album. We bring out our instruments and I think we kind of not really got there in the end, but it was good to at least try. What else do we talk about here? He was a member of Satyricon, so what's going on there? Or what's not going on there, more to the point? And something that I didn't know, Anders was a member of the monotheist lineup of Celtic Frost. Not the recording lineup, but the touring lineup. So it was an opportunity to dive a bit deeper and gauge his understanding of some of the issues that were happening in the band at the time. Because remember, Thomas G. Warrior that's when he decided that was it. Celtic Frost has done. He's been doing Trippicon ever since. Okay, if you're listening via the podcast apps, I have a tune to share with you. This one is titled Scum of the Earth. Of course, it's taken from the album, and once it's done, we'll dive into the conversation. For you people on YouTube, you know the drill by now. I can't play music on the platform, so here's the conversation. Either way, let's dive into it. Yeah. 
have you been, mate? You're at the end of a very long block of interviews. I am, but it's uh, interesting how people ask different things so far, so it's uh, good. <laughs> been entertaining? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, great. It's good, mind- good to see much, so much interest from your side of the world. You know, I'm... I don't think I've done this many interviews with Australia ever, so that's really interesting. Yeah, well, John does a great job, but I think interest in the band is definitely building, as you're probably aware. Yeah, it seems like it. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Killer album, The Age of the Offended. Okay, so that's a new album for you. It'll be out yep. in a few weeks' time, of course, because I'm a member of the Nuclear Blast pool. pool. There we go. Beautiful cover. Love it. The grand tradition of grinding covers there, grinding album artwork there for you. Um, look, it is the group's sixth, sixth album, and with the title, you're showing your hand very early, which is great, by the way. I love this resistance that's happening at the moment, okay, because we do live in an epoch where men are women and child mutilation is a state-sanctioned practice, multi-ethnic, multi Mono-ethnic multiculturalism, it's changing swathes of France, Britain and cities like Oslo, Antwerp, Birmingham and Sydney and identity politics. Look, it's the mandate of the left and murderous, murderous Marxist ideology in the form of critical race theory. It's being adopted by schools, colleges and many taxpayer-funded institutions. So I know that's a hell of an introduction, probably different to anything else you've ever got. But which one of these topics or anything else made their way into the album? Well... I think the whole idea I had was to show a little bit um, the sarcasm and humor that we all grew up with, with the likes of Monty Python and stuff like that, where black humor and uh, sarcasm was a very important uh, uh, upbringing for us. You know, being offended by things was actually what led us into this extreme metal that we are uh, all a part of now. And uh, without offensive artists uh, pushing boundaries, whether it be in humor or music, the world wouldn't be as interesting as it is right now. I think the, the all the ideas and uh, uh, the strength of uh, being diverse as human beings is uh, diluted by making think, uh, people try to think the same things that to me that everybody should be the same and think the same way is uh, equivalent to uh, 1984 by George Orwell and uh, you know the fascist states uh, in the world and uh, what we should be aware of is that the, the freedom we have of expression and uh, the freedom of it we have of being different is something kind of new uh, compared to the medieval times where the church and the state was uh, controlling everybody in a totally different way. And when we see that the same way now in uh, countries like uh, Russia or uh, Iran or where, wherever people are forced to, you know, be on the same page or otherwise persecuted or killed for uh, being different, I think that's uh, a sign for us all to treasure much more the freedom we have and not being obsessed by other people's different opinions as if it was a threat rather than 
uh, example of how different human beings are at the same time we're all very very similar so it's uh it's uh funny how uh the world seems to go a little bit backwards right now and uh that we should all be aware of this and we have to uh, have more confidence in whatever we're doing ourselves to make the world a better place or a more interesting place rather than trying to uh, go along with everybody else, so to speak. Which issue or which topic is of the most concern to you? Well, the issue and topic which is most concerned to me is the fact that people are uh, now uh, obsessed with their own uh, image uh, in social media, if you could say it that way, that everybody are... Uh, a celebrity in their own group somehow you know being filmed all the time makes people second guess uh, lots of things they would uh, just do for fun in the past and now everything is taken seriously or literally all the time rather than being ironic or uh funny or just you know people are stupid as well we have to acknowledge that you know lots of people are just ignorant and idiots and if you're not able to to uh, say out loud what we want to do uh, or want to say or are uh, restrained in our expression not to offend anyone it feels like we're in a, a very different time and age than i thought we would go into uh, with the progression that has been made so uh, having said all that you know back in the day no nobody was concerned with a lot of things that people are concerned with now because they didn't get the kind of news cycle like we have now yeah. if if you look at the news on tv from the 80s it's all dead serious about uh, whatever topic it is but now everything's clickbait everything is just there for you to spend more time on your phone going through all kinds of cascades of idiocy and stuff that really should not concern you as much and uh we are uh trapped in this uh way of uh, looking at things that makes us all kind of victims of our own uh circle somehow you know uh I find it very liberating not to have a regular TV at home. I'm uh, not spending a lot of time looking at other people's uh, dinners or whatever they have on social media <laughs> to show for that they have a perfect life, mm. perfect wife, perfect uh, dinners, uh, workouts. Look at me now. I'm on the top of a mountain, you know, like whatever. Yeah, so you are, and I'm not. I don't care. You know, it's like all these things are just in the way uh, all the time. If you let yourself into that uh, uh, rabbit hole or uh, just pure nothingness, and I think being creative and trying to do something for yourself and for others by being creative and being even a part of the real world is uh, more than enough, and people should try it sometimes. <laughs> mm. So you talked about things that are that are immediately obvious in in so far as anybody with a phone can relate to what you're talking about, but there is a, a slightly more obscure, uh, maybe hidden aspect of governance that we're all under the hammer of at the moment. I'm talking about 
unelected officials from the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, and with you guys. I know Norway isn't part of the EU, but it has an enormous impact on trade in that block. So did any of these topics and the perniciousness of the authoritarian left, did any of that seep into your lyrics? Well, I, I try to be more, um, how should I say, uh, a bow at all. I, I'm not trying to advocate any specific uh, direction. I think the extreme left and the extreme right have, have very much in common more than uh, dividing them. I think this way of looking at everything just black and white is the enemy. You know, if uh, nuance and uh, uh, figuring Definitely. out more, more. Uh, there's always reasons behind action that you don't, uh, you're not aware of because you're only portrayed. They only portray the most extreme parts in a way that makes you, uh, like I said, clickbait. So mm. I think I think uh, the world is uh, a very interesting, diverse place. And we should treasure the the fact that it is uh, different cultures should be different cultures. And everything should not be the same everywhere. I think uh, uh, also that we should be able to accept much more than we do. You know, because because somebody wants to do things totally differently, we shouldn't judge them all the time compared to what we are expecting from things. Um, it's very much uh, like. Uh, trying to open up a new door inside you if if you let go of all these things that pisses you off all the time you realize that uh you you have much more time uh, on your side to do things you do like you know uh the you know there was i don't remember what actor but somebody was um, pointing to an actor's movie career saying all the films he's doing really sucks. I hate them all. And his response was, how do you find time to see all my movies that you hate? Why don't you spend time on seeing movies that you like? You know, hmm. uh, stuff like that, you know. Uh, it's uh, very easy to uh, uh, be destructive, but it's much harder to be... Uh, uh, building things and trying to explore things Correct. for yourself yeah. for others yeah yeah, yeah. I, I reckon psychophant swing talking about the music is probably my favorite track that's been released so far this year and it goes for about a minute and 26 seconds i think something like that but you've captured something in that tune it's very mournful but it also it's interesting it has a sense of hope about it too it's a very it's a paradoxical tune is my point were you were you tempted to expand on that on that song and make it just a bit longer say and make it even more of a theme throughout the rest of the album or did you strictly intend for it to just be once off well i strictly thought i would make uh, this as an intro piece i deliberately wrote it like it is to be uh, going in a direction that like you say uh, uh, gives you an anticipation of what's coming next. Hmm. It has that cliffhanger at the end, which is a perfect thing for an intro. And uh, the fact that we use trombone, which uh, is rarely used in metal, is a it's a very important part of that. That makes the somber, uh, melancholic sound and uh, feel to it. 
And uh, this, it's the same trombone player that did the first intro for the first Cadaver album playing it, actually. So uh, I'm really happy that he could come back and do this with us. And nice. uh, yep. uh, trombone is actually an instrument which is, is entirely made of metal. So it's, <laughs> like I said, to somebody else, Very like... True. If you don't think uh, trombone belongs in metal, look at the instrument. It's pure metal, and the guitars and drums are made of wood. So, uh, not there's nothing more metal than a trombone. I love the way it goes. I think it's a G sharp, isn't it? So you hit the G sharp, then you go to the D, and then it climbs from there, and like almost a, a pentatonic sort of se- a sequence without coming back down. Yeah, it, you know, it just climbs. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually a chromatic sequence. Chromatic towards. sequence. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, uh, it's it's also holding one note throughout the whole thing, which is interesting. It's just something I kind of learned from Ronnie Litekra that there is no wrong notes on the scale. You know, if you hold one note on the guitar and keep playing that, you can play pretty much everything else around it, and it makes a very different kind of musical approach and I really really want to explore more for the future to just hold on to make yeah. if you have one one main note that doesn't change but everything else changes around it it's uh, uh, really really uh, weird how uh, the ears are capturing that as the uh, the note going in in and out of uh, minor and major scales and dim scales within the whole thing Mm. so it's uh i should probably try to write it out on score and make it be played by a different instrumentation or something that would be really Mm. interesting because it's uh it's something that is uh common in some classical music Mm. uh but many many uh metal bands are more into trying to show off all the time all the notes they can hit at mm. the, the speed of light and uh what i find more like that this is a total opposite of that it's to trying to find how how much music can you find in one note rather than having like 10 million notes played at the you know rapid speed all that does is to make like uh something that sounds very impressive but it doesn't really capture you because uh, the human ear is uh, not actually able to distinguish between things that are going too fast then it all becomes just like you know just yeah. like it's ridiculous it just yeah. merges into uh, some sort of noise but uh, holding in one note it's a very interesting concept it's very monotone but it's also not monotone at the same time it's really weird how that goes yeah, it's paradoxical, like I was saying. That's what I found about it. I've, I must have listened to that tune alone 30 or 40 times, and I've played it on the guitar and on the bass, and, and I held the D sharp, and I've held the well, the E minor, I think it might be the same thing, but, you know, held it, and yeah, then I went down to I mean, the D. Yeah, there you go. If, if you really want to dive into this. <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. Killer. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all a... good. No worries. No worries whatsoever. Did you hear that at all? 
No, no, I couldn't hear it at all. Okay. But it's, uh, it's actually, it's uh, this weird chord. You can't hear it. No, I can't. Sorry, I can't hear it. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, it, it is, uh, it is a major chord. But it's played uh, without the, without the fifth and, uh, I don't remember what it's actually called. Maybe I should. Uh, I yeah, I know what you're saying. Hang on, I'm just gonna. Yeah, I, I've got my basses here. Hang on, all. Yeah, I know. Two, two, I'll get an acoustic guitar. One second. Oh yeah, sweet. Yeah. Okay. This this guitar is tuned uh, normally, so it will be like a one oh, whole note up. There we go. <laughs> Okay. You can hear that, right? Yeah. And then. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of out of tune. Yeah, it has that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, kind of really weird because it goes the most uh, dissonant chord is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And maybe you could. So, I mean, uh, is that tuned normally? Mine's mine's in concert pitch, yeah, five string, yeah. So I think it's a yeah. D. It was an E minor, wasn't it? It starts in like or it a starts e, e, no, e flat on the yeah D flat, E flat, D flat. But it, okay. Yeah, but on 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 the scale, I mean, how I play it on guitar, this is obviously normally tuned E A yeah. D. You know? So yeah. it's on the on the F, on the F. Yeah. That's where I'm at now. So F there. Yeah, and then and then G and E. Oh, is that right? So it goes from F G E. Yeah. But it has that which is E, D, and the this position on the G string. The oh, okay, you're right up there. Yeah. So that's what's that? What's that chord called? What's that? It, it's this? like a yeah. It's it's actually just a it is a G major. Oh, you're doing G major. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So it's yeah yeah okay sweet yeah no that's great no I think I just think it's yeah. you've tapped into something there that that I'd love to hear you expand on and even maybe use as the as the musical narrative for an album moving forward yeah oh yeah totally no but I'm I'm actually I'm doing a very different project right now actually. Uh, which is uh, going much more in that direction, but it's with a female singer. 
So really? it's a very different. Yeah, I'm actually working on something which is uh, been cooking in my studio all this year, but it's um, a total different project. But it's a songwriter project first of all, and we're trying to make uh, film music and uh, or stuff for a series or whatever. So uh, it's a very different. Uh, I'm using all my musicality from Cadaver and everything else into this. Uh, it's it doesn't even have a name right now. But it's uh, something which is uh, deeper into that direction. Would you, you know, a bloke like Jonas uh, Ackland, someone like that, are you working with somebody like him? Uh, you mean the director? Yeah, the director, yeah. Mm, no, I am, I'm not working directly with any director. We, we, the, the way... Uh, we have started just to make music and we haven't really found anyone who wants it yet because it's not ready. So uh -huh. we're just, uh, we're just uh, working on stuff, which is uh, uh, very different and uh, very haunting and very mel melancholic mm. in a total different way. But it sounds to us like uh, every song is a movie in itself, but it's, uh, I, uh, I can talk more about that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about the musicians that you involve. So you've already talked about Ronnie Latecro a little bit, but your combination with him and with Dirk is just fire at this point in time. So does it does it come together fairly quickly for you guys as a trio? Yeah, I mean, the, the way this was done was that I wanted to pay tribute to uh, my uh, – my youth and what inspired me originally trying to make music on my own. And uh, my first ever band was called Deadly Metal uh, after the song from TNT, Deadly Metal. Mm. So I, I thought about making a new version of that song. I'm in a cover version. And uh, then I realized sitting down, listening to it again, that I wanted to destroy the song basically <laughs> and re rewrite all the all the riffs a little bit there's actually one part of it where the riff is uh, exactly like the original where he plays the lead but um originally i just made a demo and i no knew him a little bit not very close but n n enough to call him and say i'm doing this i want you to listen to the demo to approve that we can destroy your song as uh, the copyright holder, I mean, the songwriter for the song. So, uh, yeah, he was intrigued by this. So I sent him a demo and then he called me back, like literally a couple of hours later saying, this is fucking amazing. I want to play lead on this when it's done. So that's how that started. So it just started mm -hmm. like uh, an idea that he jumped on. So when we had recorded the whole album, I went to his studio to get him to record lead guitar on this one track. That was the original plan, and that would be would have been amazing in itself. But then he he got so inspired from it that he wanted to record on more songs and then more songs. And I really realized that wow, this is really giving the album a flair and um, uh, sound that I I've been kind of looking for, but I didn't know how to obtain. So he came on board and did the whole album and wanted to be a part of the whole thing, videos, photos, everything. So uh, down the line, we're also talking about, of course, bringing uh, this lineup out on the road, but that needs 
for uh, that to happen. The, obviously, the band needs to get recognized for this new album, and um, you know, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, the music is strong enough to make us uh, able to uh, go out on the road. It's not like we have to demand insane money or anything. It just has to fit everybody's schedule and, uh, of course, make sense from a commercial point of view. But uh, we will definitely make more music together and hopefully next time be in the same room and see what the hell that will be like. It will probably be something completely different again, but also insanely uh, happening and... Uh, interesting so Dirk did everything from the United States I take it did yeah I mean on the previous album we worked uh, remotely as well but then I went to his place and his studio to record all the songs together in the room that was intentionally what we would do now too but of course the this this was recorded in the fall of 21 and the winter of 22 and as you probably remember, that time was very restricted on travel and everything. All the whole situation in the world looked really bleak. So uh, uh, we just decided to do it remotely. And uh, the producer is actually the only guy that went to everybody's studio with, with uh, bits and pieces. And we uh, uh, worked together uh, with him all the time, but uh, in, in the room. But uh, uh, it really worked out because we did this previous album together and we knew how, you know, or we would do things and mm. uh it's been now 25 songs i've done with dirk and it's just building so i think we'll wow. uh, do several more albums uh in the future but this time i think this is a benchmark for us and the new lineup to really uh, get recognized for the kind of band we really are and not uh, just an old obscure death metal band from Norway but something brand new and exciting for people to listen to now yeah yeah great way of phrasing it yeah I, I got that sense on Edda and Bile that you weren't fucking around that you were here for good and that this is especially with Dirk and the band and of course now with with, with the explanation that you've given around Ronnie's involvement and, and, and in particular around your intention to tour with the lineup. So sure. I mean that's that's going to be logistically a bit of a challenge I imagine because you know Dave Mustaine is uh, <laughs> he's a strange guy let's face it so do you reckon Dirk will get you a, a leave pass to be able to do the tour? Uh, I don't know. Uh, of course I don't want him to be kicked out of Megadeth because it's a good uh, way for him to express uh, himself as a musician and make a living from music. So, uh, mm. uh, but we are. I'm fifty. He's forty eight. So. Um, uh, we we attend, intend to be here for the long haul, and uh, I don't know. Ten years from now, Ronnie will be as old as uh, Mustaine, so that's a problem. But uh, <laughs> we have a we, ha we have a very very good uh, uh, drummer who's jumping in for Dirk when he's not able to play. We have uh -huh. done one one show together actually in 2019 with Dirk uh, in Norway on a, on a festival. So uh, it's been done, but uh, we'll see how much downtime uh, he's getting from uh, Megadeth and that, if that's possible for him or otherwise we'll bring Bjorn Reno as uh, okay. a very competent uh, live drummer. And he, he's also with Borg Nagar and Trollfest and some other no, do some other Norwegian session thing. So he's uh he's thirty years old and really, really, really good. So uh, and approved by Dirk. So uh, as I told him, uh, being the uh, 
stand-in drummer for for one of the best metal drummers in the whole world uh, means something too. So uh, everybody will be, you know, looking at him for what he's doing, and he's doing it really good. So uh, the the key here is to uh, make the schedule uh, work with Ronnie. So we're rehearsing now with the. Björn as the live drummer and uh, Eilert uh, Solsta on double bass and me. And then when uh, we try to probably incorporate as many songs from the new album as possible, at least eight of them or something mm-hmm. into the new live show and then bring Ronnie on as well and uh, see that's probably a 2024 project. Okay. So a 2024 project then. So what's on the horizon for Satyricon? I'm not no longer really working with them because I'm too busy with my own things. So uh, enough, they're yeah. doing uh, some art projects, which uh, uh, I'm not really aware of where it is in the pipeline right now. But uh, uh, there's no plans for live uh, appearances with them either. So I'm totally focused on my own things. What was I haven't played. I haven't yeah. played live with them since like 2019. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you two of the best drummers in the business, though, and you, you've been in a band with both of them. What are the key differences between Frost and Dirk? Oh, that's uh, two totally different approaches to everything. First of all, Dirk is also uh, able to play guitar, and he's a very uh, musical guy in a wide sense of the word he's educated in music uh, schools and everything and he has his own style in a very different way than frost and Fro- i mean frost is a phenomenal drummer in a total different direction he's m- much more extreme and raw in a way you know uh, but uh, having dirt playing on my things makes the whole difference for me because of his musicality and his uh, way of also uh, arranging things. And uh, also he's coming up with uh, his own riffs and stuff like that too, which we used for one of the songs on the new album, the one called Crawl of the Cadaver. And uh, what is interesting to me is that he did the same thing with Megadeth. There's one song that he did on the Megadeth album. And when I heard that, I heard immediately it was him. And uh, it's funny if you if you hear those two songs, I can't recall what it's called now, the Megadeth song that he wrote. But uh, if you listen to our song that he wrote and the Megadeth song as, uh, that he wrote, mm. you can hear that it's the same guy coming up with the, some of the ideas, which is kind of weird. <laughs> nice, yeah. He told me that he'd written some songs previous to the album even being demoed and he wanted to submit them or he was they were under consideration by Dave Mustaine. Now, I think I could be wrong here, but they may be the first songs that Dave has considered from a member of the band to be included on an album in a well over a decade and a half. And that's come mm-hmm. from David Ellison's told me that he won't accept other ideas. He's he's it's a closed shop in so far as ideas are concerned. I heard the strength of the Act of Defiance album, and I knew that Chris Broderick obviously could write some some songs, but the the tunes that made the the Act of Defiance album in two thousand and seventeen or whatever, you really should have been Megadeth tunes. You can hear that, but mm-hmm. Dave Dave is a closed shop. But he must really have taken a shine to Dirk to allow his songs to be on a Megadeth album. 
Sure, but I mean that goes uh, to the credit of his talent. You know, he's uh, just a phenomenal, talented guy. And if you have him in the band and you don't see that or you don't uh, let him shine, I don't think you uh, understand who he is. You know, because he's a mm. phenomenal musician. Yeah, yeah. Hey, have I got time for a couple more questions, or have you got to head off? Well, gotta get head off pretty soon, but yeah, we can take one more. One more. The Morbid Angel tour at, tour at the turn of the century. I'll get it out. What are your recollections of that one? Well, the biggest recollection is the fact that uh, the bass player and singer at the time was none of the known guys from Morbid Angel at all. It was Jared Anderson. Jared Anderson, yeah. And uh, bass. He, yeah. yeah, I was uh, bummed out that he died so quick, uh, so uh, early. We. We had a really good time on that tour, and especially with uh, with him hanging out in different places. Tour was re- really extreme. We had thirty shows in thirty one days, so it was really heavy mm-hmm. uh, physically. But very luckily for us, we were young and uh, <laughs> promising guys, so uh, we had a good time. But uh, uh, one of the shows, he actually lost his voice totally. So one of the shows were sung by Eric Rutan. I heard about this, yeah. Uh, and uh, that was probably the best uh, show on that tour. Uh, I, I, I just got mesmerized by the fact that Rutan should probably have been uh, mm-hmm. the singer in Morbid Angel when David Vincent left because he has a phenomenal and hu- huge voice. Uh, but I, I understand that what he's playing on guitar and singing at the same time on the fly it's extremely complicated. It's something you need to learn and rehearse, but he knew the song so well, he could just do it on the fly, which was super impressive. Yeah, that's one of those shows. I, I, I didn't speak to Eric about it, but I've certainly certainly heard about the legend of the show and you were on the tour and so you witnessed it and I'd hope you'd bring it. I was hoping you might bring up something like that because there are just those shows that happen, aren't they? And they go down in folklore, but they actually did happen. And to your point, yeah. Erica's Erica's just all of the talent you could ever need. And then you've got the godfather, Trey, in the band as well. So did you have any conversations with Trey? Oh yeah, totally. I I was uh, talking to Trey every day. He's a really super nice guy and I uh, was sitting there rehearsing my own stuff and listening to his stuff and looking at how he was playing those riffs it's just insane because his technique is so out of the ordinary you know he, mm. he's the he's the only guy that's doing like uh, like this you know yes he's insane kind of strange way to move his fingers around and uh, I was also there. Uh, this is actually the tour where the the Angel got to know Destructor, you know, Thor, that yeah. was later in the band. Yep. So uh, I remember we were sitting backstage and uh, Thor was playing some riffs uh, for uh, Trey. And he was really impressed by the fact that he had nailed some Angel riffs on his own, completely correct. Without so I think, showing him, yeah. Yeah, so he was showing him this stuff. So it might have been where he initially thought about maybe to get him on board uh one day if uh, that was uh, you know happening so uh and thor was actually also playing many of the leads on the previous cadaver album so uh uh-huh. gotcha yeah 
Yeah, he he was uh, he did three or four leads on uh, the Adrian Bile album. So I've pretty much been in the scene and seen so many things throughout my time. So it's uh, if I collect all these things, maybe one day into a story, I will probably consider that. But right now, I'm too busy making music to be thinking about all these stories. But uh, <laughs> for the book, you gotta write the book eventually. <laughs> Yeah, might do that, you know, because there's a lot of things uh, throughout the history of metal that I've been witness to firsthand. So uh, even like in 1990, Cadaver had a show together with the Dark Throne in Oslo. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, it was like $5 to get in. There was probably 50 or 60 people there. And among those people, the whole lineup of uh, Mayhem with Dead was in the room. So yeah. they were just walking around trying to sell some albums or cassettes to get money to survive. And when we had done our show, Eurynmos uh, came up to us and asked if Mayhem could play a few songs. And we're like, sure, man. We just lend them our gear. And uh, Mayhem performed uh, three or four songs with Dead on, on the stage after you know everything was done. And it was probably... Some people had already left because this was like half an hour after we finished the show. So we were just really small group of people witnessing an uh, um, announced mayhem show with Dead. So I've seen that stuff too, you know. Did you like Euronymous? Yeah, he was pretty much my mentor when I was getting into this. My first uh, encounter with extreme metal was uh, that I listened to this local radio show from Oslo in uh, 86 and uh, Mayhem was there presenting their demo and playing lots of other bands music. And I somehow found uh, their telephone number and called during most uh, the next week. And uh, I was invited to come to the rehearsal. So I saw Mayhem rehearse in the room before Death Crush was even released. And that made me want to start my own extreme band, basically. And and the rest is history. And the rest is history, yeah. <laughs> Actually, one of the projects we started doing during COVID was to uh, rehearse in this studio where I'm sitting now with uh, Necro Butcher and Mannheim and uh, Billy Messiah, who is still um, uh, a singer for another project I have called uh, Order, mm -hmm. which is an acronym for Mayhem. You know, Order is the opposite of Mayhem. But uh, ah, okay. we have been rehearsing all the Pure Fucking Armageddon uh, songs and the Death Crush songs. So uh, we have a live act, which will be called 1405 Mayhem, which is the postcode where they had their original postbox. Ah. And do oh, all the old songs uh, and some covers they did back then, like uh, Procreation of the Wicked by Celtic Frost and Witching Hour with uh, from Mayhem, I mean from uh, Venom, and uh, mm. a couple of other songs. So that's actually something we are looking at uh, booking in festivals next year too, when Mayhem is actually 40 years old. I love how you're honouring the past, and you're you're obviously a big part of what happened in that very that burgeoning scene that that influenced the entire world. And were you were you inspired at all by sadistic execution from Sydney at all back then? Well, they, yeah, I mean they were a part of uh, music I heard. Um, obviously, 
to get all this music, you had to tape trade at the time. So uh, my source for tape trading first uh, was uh, Uranimus, and then obviously uh, Metallion from Slayer magazine in uh, Norway yeah, was already come up a lot guy. Yeah, in conversations. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I met him in '87 and uh, went to his uh, uh, home. He lived in the second floor in the house with his very old mom and dad, and he had this full second floor filled up with uh, fan scenes, LPs, and tapes. And uh, he probably had the most extensive underground collection at the time from anywhere in the world because he was literally everybody sent stuff to him from the whole world. So Sadistic Intent was obviously one of the bands we listened to. Also, what's it called? Hobbs uh, Angel Death? Yep, indeed. Yeah, he just passed away, passed away a couple of years ago, but yeah. Oh, yeah, did he? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I think he, I, I don't know whether it was cancer or what have you, but I uh, I know he lived on the south coast of New South Wales, I think, or something, but he, he was looking after his mother too, but it was a, a bit of a sad demise. I don't, Australia, in Australia, the industry is fucked, right? So it doesn't give due recognition to the extreme metal acts like Slaughter Lord 2, who, who, um, uh, what's the band from Gothenburg called? Sorry, with, uh, uh, you know, the, the metal, the band that spied all of the metal called Slaughter of the Soul, uh, you know, that album. Oh, yeah, at, yeah. at the gates. At the gates. God, any other time I'd remember. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, these were bands from Sydney that inspired the world too. And, uh, the industry here doesn't yeah. give a shit, you know, about about the Arias or whatever. And I don't think the bands care, by the way, but we as fans, as appreciators, want to see these bands get their just desserts. And in the same way that the Norwegian Grammys honoured the black metal bands, uh, I spoke to Astonu, you know, Jamie yeah, Metal. Yeah. Who? Jamie? No, no, no Astonu, not yet. Yeah. No. yeah. Well, he was he was in he was in Demi Borgir and Covenant and um, oh yeah, Carpenter. that guy, of course, yeah. Now I remember that guy. Yeah, he was here for uh, some years. Yeah, that's uh, over thirty, no, twenty years ago, right? Uh, about thirty years. Yeah, well, you know, twenty five years ago. You're right. It's closer to yeah, yeah. closer to thirty at this point. I only caught up with him last week, actually. Nice fellow. Oh yeah, nice. You know, but it's nice to it's nice to catch up with you guys that have been around a long time. You've got all of the stories, mate. And I enjoy listening. Yeah, no, it's a it's a lot of stories. You know, I have so many stories also from the time I was in Celtic Frost. That was insane. You know, you, you uh, were in Celtic Frost. Yeah, in the on the the two thousand six and seven when they released Monophase, I did all the all the festivals and the tour subsequently in America. Wow. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. That's magnificent. Congratulations on that accomplishment. Well, yeah, thank you. But it's it's one of those things, you know, when I was really uh, uh, going through a strange phase in my life, I was actually with another electronic band from Norway called Apoptigma Berserk. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason, Tom G. Warrior came to our show and I didn't know at the time he saw us live in Zurich. But uh, two months later, he just called me out of the blue and asked if I could join Celtic Frost. And I was uh, just blown away. I thought it was like a prank call at first and stuff like that because you never expect Tom G. Warrior to call you about anything, you know. Uh, so um, that experience really shaped a lot of uh, things moving forward for me because I learned a lot about the business and how to play on huge stages uh, in a headliner way. And mm. uh, having... Uh, 
like total legends looking at your band when you're playing in the band is so it was really strange like uh when we played in new orleans the two guys in the front row in front of where i was standing was phil anselmo and pepper keenan you know and they were just singing all the lyrics back you know to to tom unreal yeah from the front front uh so and the, having the whole band of voivod standing on the side of the stage watching another show in montreal and uh the guys from uh sepultura or you know whoever was inspired by celtic frost came out to see the band every, all the time so that was uh peter Steele from from type of negative, type of negative you know yeah yeah, he was sitting on my bag at the backstage sleeping when I got off stage in New York, stuff like that. <laughs> stuff. Uh, so the, you can only experience that if you are super lucky, but I was very lucky. Been that all my life actually to be able to do this full on and uh, having experience with all these super legendary bands and uh, I learned a lot. It says a lot about the caliber of you as a as a musician and the way people these very important people let's face it perceive your abilities that you're included yeah i mean i've never really thought about it that way myself i've just been trying to do whatever i do as good as i can but you know it's uh i've been at the right time at the right place uh many a time so i've been very lucky to be able to explore all that stuff hmm. hey, i promise this will be my last question but just on the celtic frost thing did you observe any of the problems between tom and the i can't remember the name of the drummer at the time but i understand there were issues there franco might have been franco yeah 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 i know franco yeah yes and no i you know all bands have uh, different dynamics uh i can't say anything really bad about any of those uh guys because they really showed me so many cool things that i would never been without but uh all bands have internal uh problems and uh friction between band members but i i was uh never uh questioned or put into uh, a corner where i had to make a choice about any of them so uh i was just lucky to be a part of it so i uh always i uh, keep in touch with tom and uh franco i've been in touch with a little bit but uh i've seen tom much more lately i mean even last year we were hanging out in oslo when he played with the triumph of death in uh, at the inferno nice. so mm. we keep in touch but uh yeah it's uh all an experience you know it's uh part of everything i've learned mm. well i hope to see you down here in australia mate you know we'd love to see you down here with cadaver or any other act actually so uh good luck with it it's a killer album what you've got here uh the age of the offended so i'm sure it'll be very very well received and hopefully that's the feedback that you've you've been given from people like me as you've done these interviews yes very much so i'm really stoked about the fact that uh, australia seemed to understand this album the quicker than everybody else so that's uh, good to know <laughs> all right well god bless and good luck with everything brother thank you very much and uh, stay safe down in australia rightio there you go what an interesting bit of information that he shared toward the end there celtic frost how we miss them never saw them in australia I know they toured here once or twice. I think it was 2007 where they toured on the back of Monotheist and it really wasn't that well promoted from memory because uh, well, they certainly didn't visit Brisbane or the Gold Coast. 
Usually just Sydney or Melbourne get these sort of shows, sometimes just Melbourne, as is the case with groups like Scorpions and Nocturnus AD, never mind. But another great conversation in the catalogue of conversations that have been broadcast through this Scars and Guitars podcast. If you enjoyed that one, there are many more just like it. Go across to scarsandguitars.com. I don't need to tell you what to do. You know what to do. There's a menu there and you can dive into them for yourself. Elsewhere, I've written a book and I've got some more information to share with you about it. If you want to download a copy or a sample, go to the website, click on the link in the banner and you know the rest. Go to a marketplace of your choice and download that sample or complete the purchase. I'd appreciate it. I do appreciate it. So many of you have purchased the book already and given me feedback. I'm flattered, believe me. Got some more information to share with you about the book in the moment, but before we get to it, I'll bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldina. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including 
his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book. <laughs>